This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Andrew, have you ever been punched in the face? No. I've never really been in a fight. I don't think I would do good at it. <laughs> I've like, I remember in middle school, like, playing around and it almost being a fight, but never mm-hmm. actually getting in a fight. Like, when you invent a game where you and your friends hit each other with Rubbermaid trash cans, it's like, it might as well be a fight. So what you're telling me is that you almost have a story to tell me about getting into fights. Yeah. I saw the movie Creed over the weekend. I was just thinking about getting hit in the face. Is that the amazing true story of the band Creed? Because if not, I'm not really interested. Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. I was what so I did this weekend with you. What that I, I did this forgot my name. What I did this weekend was I went to my brother's wedding, and that was like it was good. Like they're married now, that's fine. But I told I had a catering adventure that I told you about, and I'm not going to re- recount that story on the air. But it's too basically, embarrassing. <laughs> I went and I got Chipotle, like well, catered Chipotle, and it's like story. I'm I'm not putting anyone on blast because i think chipotle is great like i will go like if i'm going into new york city for a meeting for like a meeting just before lunch and i have to get lunch somewhere like i'm probably gonna go to chipotle like four times out of five because i know what it is and it's easy and they're everywhere and it's pretty good Uh but it got me thinking about like fast food catering in general and just how fast food like different fast food restaurants would cater so oh, like, so what you're saying is, could you get a nugget tray from McDonald's? Yeah, like if you go to Arby's, are they just going to hand you like a garbage bag full of roast beef and a couple of sacks of <laughs> hamburger buns? I think they use like Kaiser rolls, don't they? Or whatever, whatever they use. The sack of roast beef. I don't know what they you would put get, the sauce in. You can just get like a party bucket, trays, like a bucket you can of get, sauce. That would be tasty. You could mm-hmm. get a. You can get party trays from Chick-fil-A where a cow will show up and deliver a tray of chicken to you. A man dressed as a cow or an actual cow? Your response tells me everything about how excited (laughs) I am about this idea. (laughs) I would hope it's an actual cow. They could like hang it from its neck. (laughs) They hang the chicken pieces from its neck. And instead of a cowbell, it's... Probably nugget, it's a nug bell. So tell me, tell me more about this podcast that we're doing. Oh, apparently, it's, it's clearly as good as everything you've just heard. We uh, we read books. One of us reads it every week. What? And then we tell the other person about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes we learn something. And then if that's happened, sometimes you, the listener, learn something. And sometimes nobody learns anything. But we all love each other at the end. Yeah, that's the important part. Not in like a way where you, if you don't want to, you have to. Like you can opt out. You could if you don't want to love everyone at the end. That's cool, I guess. But it's kind of it's not really in the spirit of the show. So it'd be best if you got around to like being okay with it. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. So like, a- think about that in the intervening me, hour or so. Please ask me what I read. <laughs> Andrew, <laughs> what did you read for this week's show? I read for this week's Overdue Podcast book program, Ugh. Jules Verne's Around the World in 80 Days. Okay. what? Who is that? Jules Verne is a French novelist, poet, and playwright, 
and he's written a whole bunch of stuff. Have we done him on the show before? I feel like we haven't, right? I don't think we have. We've done H.G. Wells. so he's... We did H.G. Wells. That's who I'm thinking of. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, Vern did um, Journey to the Center of the Earth, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and then Around the World in 80 Days. Like there are a lot, There's a lot of other stuff, but like if you're going to pick like a top three, I think that's pretty much it. Like it's, um, there's a lot of like sci-fi stuff in there, but I think they're defined primarily as being kind of adventure novels or like travel novels. Yeah. The term scientific romance comes up again and again, which we, we may have discussed when we talked about HG Wells like years ago. Um, but that's the kind of proto sci-fi where sometimes... that one two aliens like smooch each other. Yeah. Or just went to like two scientists smooch each other. Yeah, that's more, and they're really empirical about it. They're like, yeah. "What if I smooch you this way? I have a thesis about smooching. Let me smooch you. You have to, you have to be willing to experiment." Let Andrew. me show you my honors experiment. <laughs> I got this grant funding to smooch you this way, <laughs> and then I'm going to publish an article about how I smooched you. Uh, so. The peer reviewed article, <laughs> peer reviewed smooching. smooching. <laughs> uh, Jules Verne's four, 54 novels that he published between 1863 and 1905 were called Les Voyages Extraordinaires or The Extraordinary Journeys. Uh, and those include the books that you mentioned before, Andrew, and they mix everything from geology to astronomy to paleontology to stuff that Jules Verne made up um, into this kind of categorical fictional exploration of the universe. Uh, I think he even told some colleagues of his that that was his goal was Mm -hmm. to kind of encapsulate the known universe in his writing. Um, And he... What, one of the things you asked me before we started the show, Andrew, was how much traveling he'd done, because I think we'll get into this book in particular, uh, going, h- how fast are we going? Around the world in 80 days. That, okay, great. Just making sure that the wind speed was correct. Um, mm-hmm. That he's probably going to go a lot of places, and you were kind of wondering what, where the heck he'd actually been. I think it's telling that a biographer may or may not have invented a tale about an 11-year-old Jules Verne like st- stowing away on a ship as a cabin boy <laughs> that would have gone to the Indies and his and his parents like catching him. Uh he was born on I thought this was cool. He was born on a on a small artificial island on the Loire River, which already sounds like something that should be in a in a scientific romance. And from an early age he seems to have had an infatuation with boats and maritime vessels and kind of living near water and a lot of his relatives were ship owners and uh mercantile people he took two trips in the late 50s early 60s where he went out of france for the first time and uh ended up in the british isles and then also up in scandinavia and then just before the publishing of around the world in 80 days he took uh, he had purchased some boats and kind of took took a bunch of trips around the world. But a lot of, it seems like a lot of his knowledge actually comes from a friendship with a man named Jacques Arago, who was uh, a writer, artist, and explorer, who despite going blind later in his life, uh, traveled around the world a lot. And he'd been to Hawaii um, and had been, where else did he go? Uh, he'd been to Brazil. That's actually where he died. So he had been all sorts sorts of places and recounted a lot of his adventures to Vern as Vern was getting his start writing. Mm-hmm. So, okay, to, to pick up on something you were putting down earlier about... <laughs> about, like, traveling and... and um, uh-huh. And... Vern's desire to catalog like the known universe. Yes, I guess was um the deal with around the world in 80 days is it's sort of set off by these technological advancements that made traveling a lot easier and more accessible than they had ever been before. So 
You've got the uh, Transcontinental Railroad in America, um, linking of Indian railways, railways across uh, Asia, and then the opening of the Suez Canal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And these things, among you know many other technological innovations that were that were happening at the time, made it possible to travel across, like travel all the way across America without being like Lewis and Clark, for example. Like you <laughs> okay, could... <laughs> okay. It made it, if not safe, and it, like the stuff in this book doesn't make it sound altogether safe, but it just it made it possible to pick up and do this without having a whole lot of specialized knowledge about about striking out on your own in the wilderness well yeah and we're entering another phase of imperialism as well like this is the i think Verne moved into paris after they deposed king louis philippe but then was there when bonaparte's kid like was like hey i got elected president now i'm the emperor check it i changed how the government works (laughs) welcome to the second french empire so we're we're talking about like around the peak like near the peak just before the peak of the british empire yeah sure i don't know enough about the british empire do you i don't know a ton but i know that that's the time period that we're working in here and we're so it's around that peak and then we're also getting all this perspective from somebody who's basically an outsider because Verne is a french guy yes which explains why we get so much of the book from the pers- perspective, not of the main character, but from his French servant. Interesting. Yeah. I thought you were going to say his name. You said that in a way that he had a name. Does he have a name? He does have a name. I was maybe going to say it, but then I was like, I know I want, I want to make sure we're done talking about Fern before we get into that. Okay. It's been a very I... long weekend. Like, <laughs> uh, I got to make, we got to make this content for all of our listeners because we love them and we don't want to miss a week and we just we want you to have a podcast to listen to but sometimes we're tired <laughs> hey what we're gonna be fine it's okay gonna be great. we're gonna get through this together clear eyes full hearts can't lose yeah um i think it's also worth noting that uh in his time Verne was considered very much a genre writer, which I think is interesting because that's something that we talk about a lot today. Uh, and we got a peek of that, Andrew, when we were at the Book Riot conference. Like that mm-hmm. was a th- that was a perennial topic of conversation, um, and I imagine it gets bandied around a lot elsewhere. But for someone who is so revered in the canon, like. His apparently he has the distinction of being one of the most widely translated authors in history. Okay, kind of bopping around between Agatha Christie and Shakespeare. So there you go. That's good company, I guess. Yeah, no, that's pretty good. Um, but even in his time, people were like, "Yeah, you're writing like sciency travel adventures. You're not cre- You're not contributing to the literary canon." So he would have been like, "This is the twilight of its day." basically yes definitely yeah that is exactly correct or like at best the harry potter of its day Uh, well yeah maybe i don't know i mean maybe harry potter is well no they're both sort of apps like genre fiction gets it's an easy whipping boy because it's it can often be like campy and maybe even like a little inaccessible or or i don't i don't know what it is about genre fiction that gets like literary people's hackles up sometimes. But. Funnily enough, I think sometimes it's way more accessible than literary fiction. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's what that's one of the reasons why it gets knocked. And and it also gets to trade on some shorthand, some cultural shorthand where you expect certain things of a genre, you expect certain things of an author and how the story's gonna work, and then the, the author gets to play with that as opposed to literary fiction that especially, you know, I think. So that's the reason why we're talking about Harry Potter and not about like Dave Eggers or something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Though I would like to read Dave Eggers, like write a Harry Potter book like mm-hmm. in universe, write about some wizards, like some fan fiction or like his own sort of take on a genre book like Harry Potter, uh, his take. Well, both, but I meant the latter one. <laughs> 
the last thing I want to say about Vern is he had a book that was published in the 1990s, mm-hmm. even though he wrote it in 1863, called Paris in the 20th Century. And he set this book in 1960, even though he'd written in 1863. And his publisher, Pierre Jules Hetzel, who helped him publish the bulk of the work that we know today, decided not to release it because he thought it too unbelievable. And what I like that, like going 20,000 leagues under the sea or like to the center of the earth or whatever is like fine. But if you try to write something 100 years in the future, it's like, oh, man, this is this is kind of unbelievable. Do you think the people are going to be on board for this? Yeah. And apparently the main character gets too depressed by all of the technology and like doesn't do too well. So let me just read you some of the things that he predicted. Cars okay. with cars with internal combustion engines that Got have it. gas stations and asphalt roads. Nailed it. Underground passenger train systems and Nailed high-speed it. trains powered by magnets, skyscrapers, uh, fax machines, basically, computers that can send messages as part of some sort of network resembling the internet, mm-hmm. wind power, the electric chair, uh, drones... Uh, and electronic music and nude stage plays. <laughs> Ooh, nude stage plays. Thanks, Jules Verne. I've always got to wonder with some of that. Um, like, I know that Star Trek has had, or like a lot of sci-fi media has had kind of an outsized effect on technology. Like, you look at stuff that they made up for Star Wars or Star Trek and you get people who are trying to like reproduce that in real life. Like if somebody ever figures out how to do a lightsaber, oh, I'm God. convinced that there are like rooms full of scientists who are trying to crack that code. Yeah. Do they work at Google though? Cause Google's is like make the Star Trek computer, right? That's their goal. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a thing. I think it is a thing. I'm not sure you could, you, I guess I'd have to Google it. Oh my! Ugh. Or Bing, Bing it. I could Bing it. Just use Lycos or Jeeves. It's more reliable. Jeeves is dead. They killed Jeeves. <laughs> Why did they kill him? He didn't. He wouldn't answer their questions. <laughs> they tortured him and killed him. Well, Andrew, uh, I want you to tell me about this book, but first we have to take a quick break and talk about this week's sponsor. Okay, let's do it. Andrew, have you ever made like a website? Yes. What's the worst part about making a website? Finding a URL that's not taken, but also designing it. (laughs) What if there was an easy way to build a website, say for like a travel log? Right, if you were going around the world. Like, if you were going around the world in 80 days, which these days would be not really all that impressive. I think I don't it takes, think. like, 45 hours by plane. That's it, to circumnavigate the globe. Mm-hmm. So if you sat on a plane for 45 hours and you just took video the whole time and you wanted to dump it to a website, I think it's possible, but I don't know how to code. What should I do? Um, You should probably go to Squarespace. Who's that? Because they what do they let do? you... They, Squarespace is a service that lets you make professionally designed websites regardless of your skill level. No coding required. So you don't got to muck <sighs> around in any PHP or Perl scripts or or HTML, CSS, C++. or any of that stuff. C++. You don't got a C++. You don't got no QBasic. You, you don't have to do any of it. None of it. They have intuitive and easy to use tools. Um, and they have a lot of really great pre-designed templates that you can start from. And uh, they're trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world, including our brand. Yeah, that's right. OverduePodcast.com <laughs> is on Squarespace. Now, this must cost 20,000 pounds, 1.6 million pounds in today's dollars. 20,000 pounds sterling. No, well, I've got great news for you. Plans actually start at $8 sterling a month. <laughs> and you also get a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Oh, that's good because I don't want to pay for that. So if you want to sign up for not so impressive around the world in 80 days.com, 
you can do that for free with your Squarespace subscription. <laughs> Andrew, Craig. start your free trial site today with no credit card okay. required at squarespace.com. Then what? Uh, then when you inevitably decide that this is the service that you want to use and you sign up, you should use the offer code OVERDUE to get 10% off that first purchase. Squarespace. Build a beautiful... Great. That sounds great. Andrew, would you like to tell me about the book now? All right. Here we go to the part of the podcast that I have to carry. <laughs> this is going <laughs> to be good. Are, you are so punchy this week. This is going to be real good. All right. Around the World in 80 Days by Jules Verne. It's a book published in 1873. And the events of the book are as follows. <laughs> a man named Phileas Fogg is really really uptight and he's weird a weirdo he's a big weirdo what what of other plenty of people are uptight what makes him weird in he's his just uptightness? a he's a rich eccentric english gentleman who lives by himself he doesn't have relations he doesn't have friends he's not married he doesn't have kids and like he does how so, dare like, he well, okay, so that's they're just laying a foundation for you understanding how unconventional he is. Okay. Um, you learn that he, I don't know, like sometimes in in the early parts of the book, like it gives a number of steps that he's taken during the day, and you get the impression that he's just precise enough that he could actually be keeping track of the number of steps that he takes in a day. He doesn't have like, like a always, Fitbit. No, he doesn't have a Fitbit because it's like 1870-something. Well, this is Jules Verne, I'm just saying. He's not invented a future Fitbit. No, while Jules, Ver- Jules Verne is known for sci-fi and futurism, this book does not have any of that. This book is very much like celebrating the technological advancements that allow us to go around the world in 80 days. Okay. It's like, why don't we just appreciate what we have? Why don't we... It's <laughs> like he came up with that Louis C.K. thing about plain internet like 140 years before Louis C.K. did. You're in a boat that's going to go around the world and you're going to live the whole time. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> but so, for so example, what is Phileas for, for example, he, doing? he fires a servant for bringing him shaving water that was 84 degrees instead of 86 degrees. Yeah, like, that's how that. that's the he's living a very precise lifestyle. Some would say okay. a boring lifestyle. But I think or it's mat- pretty uh, meticulous. Yeah, meticulous is fine. I prefer just to call him a weirdo and leave it. <laughs> <laughs> so he's playing whist. Which, do you know what whist is? W h i s t. It's a card game. Is it like okay? I was gonna say it's like mist, but it's, an Eng- it's a classic English trick-taking card game, which was widely played in the 18th and 19th centuries. So it's sort of like spades, Google or search that right? I just did. Yeah, or like euchre, which I oh, love. You love euchre. It's because I. That's what I played in like high school, and then also at on uh, third shift at the chip factory for two summers at, oh, in college. That's so good. Did you I take home a good. lot of chips? Were you betting chips? No, nobody was betting like anything except maybe betting how long we could stretch our hour-long lunches out (laughs) while playing Euchre in the break room. Uh, I'll go sweep up more chips. Hold on. I just got to slam Steve in this game of Euchre. Playing Euchre with with a bunch of like union workers that's so good unionized people who like like i was just a summer help and like nobody cared as long as i did like the bare minimum but yeah sitting in the break room and playing euchre with all the union people like they didn't give a they didn't care about anything that's great that's so good why can't we make america great again craig have i told the story on air about the supervisor i had at the music store who told me that sometimes he wasted days by just carrying a box back and forth from the storeroom you've talked about this music store a couple of times but it was no, an I don't empty think... box and he would go back to the storeroom claiming that he was taking it back there like because it was a return and then he would hang out there for an hour and bring it back and say that he was bringing it to a customer <sighs> that's there was a manager at McDonald's where I also worked, 
And he thought he thought he was the funny one. He would always tell like the new workers to go do weird stuff like to uh, to recharge the hand dryers in the bathroom <sighs> or uh, to go get, quote unquote, plain sauce from, quote unquote, the basement. Plain sauce sounds disgusting. <laughs> well, it's not a thing. I know. Just think about it, though. No, just like. It's goopy water. It's just goop. It's translucent goop that doesn't Ew. taste like anything. And there's no basement in the McDonald's. Oh, I did try for several minutes to find where the basement was. I though. would have so too. I would have too. I'd mission accomplished, Billy from the McDonald's outside the Southland Mall in Marion, Ohio. I'm your like, boss, you Billy. Go find my sauce. I'm Billy, and I have sunglasses, tan lines. That's the oh. kind of person I am. <laughs> In Ohio? Yeah. Chill out, Billy. <laughs> Tell me about Phileas Fogg and why he's going to go around the world. All right. He's, he's chilling at the Reform Club with his pals, uh, playing whist, and he sees this article in the Daily Telegraph, a prominent newspaper in the day. Now, it's a still newspaper, a newspaper today. A newspaper was a, uh, a printed document. That was published like sometimes daily, sometimes weekly. Um, that had the day's news in it. It was like an internet without hyperlinks. What was it post? What was it printed on though? Paper. Like- Paper is like a touch screen that only can hold one thing at once. And so, if you take like a hundred little touch screens and fold them all up into one thing, and then you write words on it, it's like a newspaper. So, like, what I'd wrap presents in. Yeah, except with words on it. Instead of snowmen, Santas. Or penguins. Or penguins. Sometimes like the penguins penguin say ho, ho, ho. It's funny. Why would... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's an article in this newspaper okay. about a, a new railway section that's just opened up in India. And Phileas Fogg is like, oh... I guess you could probably go around the world in 80 days. And the Stop other guys, it. the other guys are like, no, nah, no, you can't do that. They're like, there would be snow and there'd be all the stuff that would get in your way. And I feel this fog is like, no, I guess they plan for all that in all the schedules that I'm looking at. So probably you could do it. And the guys are like, no, you couldn't do it. And Phileas fog is like, well, I bet you 20,000 pounds, which is like 1.6 million pounds now. <laughs> Oh, gosh. That he can make it around the world in 80 days. And he's like, I'll start tonight. I'll just leave. <laughs> because I'm not I'm not doing anything. I don't have any family or anything. I'm just Why a does weirdo. he have all this money? It's not. Okay, that's one of the passages I wanted to read, like introducing us to Phileas Fogg. Because like, he's not just Doctor Who. Like, he, does, he isn't just... I know that he's an eccentric, affable Britishman, but I... I need to know why he can just take off. Was Phileas Fogg rich? Undoubtedly. But those who <laughs> knew him best could not imagine how he had made his fortune, and Mr. Fogg was the last person to whom to apply for the information. He was not lavish, nor, on the contrary, avaricious. For whenever he knew that money was needed for a noble, useful, or benevolent purpose, he supplied it quietly and sometimes anonymously. He was, in short, the least communicative of men. He talked very little and seemed all the more mysterious for his taciturn manner. His daily habits were quite open to observation, but whatever he did was so exactly the same thing that he had always done before that the wits of the curious were fairly puzzled. So maybe he had money. No, he definitely had money, but nobody knows why or how. Okay. And if you asked him, he would be like, don't shut up. If you asked him how much money he had, he would tell you that he did a bunch of steps today. (laughs) Like... I have one on the snowpad. How many steps I took? Don't worry about how much money I have. Yeah, it's none of your business. Let's play whist. <laughs> he does love whist. So he he accepts this wager and he leaves with his servant, his freshly minted servant, who had like started earlier that day, uh, Passepartout. And yeah. they are gonna they are gonna go around the world in eighty days. Now, Wrinkle, Wrinkle the first. There now some. If you were just reading this book and it was like, oh, he successfully circumnavigated the globe in 80 days and nothing happened, that would be a boring book. But that's not what happens. There are a lot of things that get in his way. Thing number one is this detective Fix who uh, who starts pursuing him because he vaguely matches the description 
of a bank robber who swiped, I think, 55,000 pounds from the bank. Wow. Okay. A couple days before. And Fix is convinced that he is doing this highly publicized wager so that he can get away from the authorities, like escape to America and disappear. That's a pretty good idea, actually. And so he's, yeah, he's tailing Fog and, um, and waiting for this warrant that is perennially like one city behind where he is and always trying to like put stuff up in Fogg's way and, and trying to waylay him. Uh, okay. So Fogg is going east around the globe. He starts in London and he goes down into India, which was at that point a uh, British territory. Mm-hmm. And then uh, up to Japan and then from uh, Yokohama to San Francisco from San Francisco to New York, and then from New York across the ocean again to London. And it's okay. a very, like, it's mostly by boat and by train, but every once in a while he needs to get off and walk. At one point he's riding an elephant. At one point he's riding, like, a sledge across the tundra. Okay, who's pulling the sledge? Passepartout? No, somebody who he paid a lot of money. So Phileas Fogg still has a lot of money, and he pays. He basically throws money at every problem that he comes up against until. <laughs> so it he's goes just away. got a big George Costanza wallet. No, well, just... George Costanza's wallet is full. I I imagine that wallet is full of like Subway Club cards. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> with like three punches on them, uh-huh. but. His carpet bag is full of money. And so, okay. I, I, so I thought it was funny. I was reading about um, other people who tried to do to like emulate this either um, contemporaneously or later on. Um, Nellie Bly did a journey around the world in 1889 and 72 days and met Vern at the end of it, which I thought was kind of neat. But the funniest recent example uh, listed was uh, there's this there's this outfit called the optimistic traveler okay and uh they said that they they wanted to do something called the 80 days challenge which is a trip around the world without money Ooh, and it's like a charity campaign but i could not think like after reading this book i could not think of something that was less in the spirit of the work that inspired it <laughs> Like Phileas Fogg is waving around money all over the place. He's doing it to buy boats. He's doing it to buy trains. He buys an elephant once. Um, there, like toward the end, he's going from New York to London, and he's like the steamer he was supposed to be on or whatever. Like left early, and so he's desperate, and so he buys passage on a ship that's going to another place. Locks the captain in a room. Pays the crew to to take him to London. They're running out of coal, so he unlocks the room with the captain in it, pays him more money to buy the ship outright, and then starts tearing up the deck and the lifeboats and stuff and burning those for fuel. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's so genius. He is nothing if not like resourceful and single-minded, and he's totally unflappable and like and, and nothing nothing can really nothing ever worries him really of course it wouldn't work if anything did no like you're getting all the all the worry you get through (laughs) passepartout who has a bunch of his own little adventures what is what is his deal because i imagine he's that helps the book remain interesting he's the samwise to to fogg's frodo okay elaborate please what, what like he's just he's you can't just toss who, it out there he's the sidekick who sometimes gets them in trouble but then he's got such a big heart that you just can't hold it against him is like he, he so he's is he like so competent is, nah, not really he causes more <laughs> problems than he than he solves but you do like him because he's like cheerful and has emotions where fog is cold and basically just a travel robot uh, <laughs> gotta so go fix, fast gotta go fast well no he's not a traveled sonic the hedgehog chili dog <laughs> chili dog <laughs> God. so fix fix is working passepartout for information at one point and he 
so they're they're getting ready to sail for San Francisco and Fix is like, man, this is like the last English territory that we're going to be in for a while. If he gets to America, he's going to escape. So I can't let Passepartout tell Fogg that this boat is leaving a little bit earlier than Fogg mm-hmm. thinks it is. And so they go like Fogg under the guise of friendship slash telling Passepartout that he thinks that Fogg is a bank robber. They go to an opium den and have a couple drinks and Passepartout is like kind of an idiot and he just keeps drinking and then fix like shoves an opium pipe in his mouth and like knocks him out. Oh no. And so he, so fog leaves Passepartout behind, like starts heading for like, there are a couple cities that the steamer is going to before it heads out from San for San Francisco. So he's trying to intercept it. And he's like, he's doing his own thing. And then Passepartout like wakes up and he's like, Oh no, I got to get on this boat. So he gets on the boat. They were going to get on. And then they like meet up because Passepartout is like taking a job at a circus to like get money. Cause he's still trying to get to San Francisco by himself. And she's just like all the time or like one time in India, he goes into a temple and he's wearing his shoes and you're not supposed to do that, but he doesn't know you're not supposed to do that. So when some priests start yelling at him, he just like punches them and runs away <laughs> and fog has to bail them both out. Oh my gosh. Um, they all have one little misadventure in India where there's a woman who's being carried off to be sacrificed because her husband died. Uh, her name uh-huh. is Auda. I, be- I believe I looked up the pronunciations of things. So passport i I'm pretty sure is right. Uh, Auda A O U D A is right i think um so they like they're like running a day ahead of schedule at the time so they go and rescue her by like passepartout pretends to be her dead husband and like rises from the grave and carries her off and scares everybody (laughs) it's just kind of it's a silly little book but you you really do get invested in them making it and finding out like, oh, what little what little misadventure are they going to have this time? Like what little Vern is good at coming up with varying wrinkles like he do, it's not just it's not the same thing every time. OK, it's not, it's not, it doesn't always follow the same shape the way the scenario unfolds. Yeah. Yeah. So um, like in, in India, it's that, oh, the papers reported that the train line was open before it actually was. So there is like they have to walk between a couple of stops um, in America when they're training across the country. Like some just some buffalo are walking across the train track and they just have to wait three hours for the entire giant herd of buffalo to cross the train track. Um, yep. One time, Seems like a, a thing that would happen, a Sioux tribe jumps on the train and starts shooting everybody. Oh, gosh. I like that earlier you said that when he was looking at these train schedules that he just assumed they'd accounted for all this stuff. They kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> like on Tuesday, we're going to hit some bison. So just the like train's on average, be like if you average the ones where everything goes fine and then the ones where Native Americans <laughs> jump the train and start killing everybody, we make this run in about seven days <laughs> on average. That's it's like when I'm waiting for a bus or I'm in a bus trying to get to work and today is the day that someone is digging up a gas main and someone else needs help getting to the hospital and somebody else doesn't know how to parallel park and also school buses are annoying. Mm-hmm. And they don't put that on the schedule, Andrew. Then that you just school end buses up with- are annoying. No, they don't. And then it just ends up with like five SEPTA buses back to back to back. No, like with trains here, I don't, I mean, they have schedules, but normally I just show up and like try to leave myself 20 minutes of padding and just, you know, the things are going to, things are going to happen the way they happen. (laughs) (laughs) The, The old slogan for the Philadelphia system, SEPTA, used to be getting there. Which is like, <laughs> is it's like the there? bare minimum that you would expect from a public transit system. But it but it also has this like p- 
perennial. We're getting better. We promise. Like all shucks. Like oh, we're getting there. We're yeah, getting, don't worry about don't it. Don't get there someday. Just because you're inconvenienced now doesn't mean you'll be inconvenienced forever. It's psych. You're always inconvenienced. It could be worse. You could be dead. Yeah, that's that's. <laughs> would not be inaccurate (laughs) so did this book inspire like a travel lust in you i know you like a good relaxed vacation but i don't know you to be a like let's go to here and here and here and see this stuff and if i was gonna do that it would have to be i would have to we'd have to decide that that was what it was gonna be setting out like for me it's not so much I mean, I do like relaxing because it's a thing that's kind of alien to me in my normal life. <laughs> I would say that's correct. But um, it's more about expectation. Like if I, if I in my brain have prepared myself for things to be like really busy and hectic and just like traveling everywhere, then that's great. I'm going to be fine. But if I am expecting a relaxed vacation and I actually have to spend 12 hours traipsing around, I'm going to be the most unpleasant travel companion that you've ever known in your life. And I'm not like proud of it, but I know it about myself. Have you've experienced this? Oh yeah. Where did this happen? Uh, just like today in the car. (laughs) So we're driving, we're driving from Cincinnati up to, up to my parents' house in 80 days and well in two and a half hours so not like not really thematically as nice as i would like it to be but (laughs) but i you know we're leaving around noon we had breakfast around like 9 30 so i figure around like 1 or 1 30 we'll like stop and get gas and get some lunch but google maps decides oh i think i will take you through every cornfield in in southwest ohio on your mm-hmm. way up there instead of like taking us on highways that have things. And so yep. it was like three o'clock before we got to eat again and we were both very kanky. Wait, and what word did you just say? Kanky. We were kanky. We we're fussy. Uh, that I know that word. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, when things like when things don't go according to plan, it it's I find that frustrating. So if That's, we planned an around the world and how I mean it would not take you eighty days anymore. But if we planned like to backpack across Europe, like twenty three year olds, mm. and that was and that was what we planned to do from the get go, like that would be cool. But yeah, this book is getting back to your question about it inspiring, like. Tra- wanderlust or whatever like yeah it's this it's this interesting co- combination of really specific little details with really really broad brushstrokes <laughs> sure yeah you were alluding to that before we started recording what can you elaborate on like how he's treating the places where he's going well so i mean some of the stuff is just oh it's india this is a this is a british territory and so Sometimes they're in the crappy neighborhoods and then sometimes they're in the nice settled English neighborhoods. And then there's a lot of, and this is the kind of stuff you would expect from a book published in the 1870s. There's a lot of like the, like unfamiliar savages. There are, yeah. are a lot of like men be like this, but women be like this things. Yeah. Um, the book, I mean, to the extent that Aouda factors into the story at all, which she's really just a, she becomes a travel companion and a like stealth dark horse love interest for Phileas Fogg. Um, as the story per- continues, um, she's, she, she's not, it's not too bad about her though. It does like take, even though she's an Indian woman, it does take pains to describe like how beautiful and pale skinned she is. Like she's very pale skinned, mm. has very white teeth. Like she is beautiful in the way that readers of this book would probably think that she should be beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, But yeah, it's like some of my favorite stuff is like when he's describing fruit. And so you get a sense of a world where all of this different fruit is not readily available in every location whenever you could possibly want it. Like it is now. Was, um, so this okay. is them traveling through. What? I was wondering why you were so excited about the passages about fruit. 
But that well, makes way just... more sense because it's very novel. Okay. Yeah. All right. So they this is them in India. Uh, they stopped under a clump of bananas, the fruit of which, as healthy as bread and as succulent as cream, was amply partaken of and appreciated. So that like that little description of what a banana is like, like when I eat a banana, it's just like, oh, that was like a banana. Maybe it was too ripe or not ripe enough. But like I, in my head, have a banana spectrum that I can put that food on yeah even as you're peeling open the banana you can pre-taste it in your brain right and for me i'm i eat very fast so like a banana is maybe four bites i might as well just breathe it in and get the vitamin (laughs) b and the potassium would you say that you find uh bananas very uh appealing i'm sorry what did you say so yeah, this this <laughs> thing where you have to describe a banana using other foods, so bread and cream in this case, I thought was a really yeah. really neat little touch. Um, what's the the other one? Uh, this, he's describing mangoes. Uh, Passepartout has purchased several dozen mangoes, a fruit as large as good sized apples, of a dark brown color outside and a bright red within, and whose white pulp melting in the mouth. Affords gourmands a delicious sensation. Ooh! So again, using other foods and like color and and feel to describe the way that this this foreign fruit that maybe your readers would not be familiar with. I thought it was nice. I thought it was a nice touch. I feel like we're running out of new foods, Andrew. Like in the world. Yeah, like now if we want to make something novel it's all about like shoving one food into another food so like pizza with hot dog crusts yeah or like a pie that's been baked into a cake even though that's like that's been done that's past that's now. been done or it's like science food i think the last frontier the two frontiers will be space like food from space like if we finally crack like not open just like Mars, astronaut pizza no, not astronaut pizza or Tang, but like we crack open Mars and there's like Mars food there's like inside. Peanut butter in there. No, we know what peanut butter is, Andrew. Martian peanut butter. I, yeah, okay. I don't know what that tastes like. Or if we start eating all the crazy fish at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> like all those <laughs> all those fish that light up on their own and we don't they know don't how look many like they're they'd down be good there. to eat. They don't look like they'd be good to eat. They look like they'd give me mutant powers if I ate them. <laughs> sounds awesome or else i'd like melt or like my skin would turn translucent or i would just start lighting up myself save the melting part i'm on board is there a jules verne book about going to the bottom of the ocean and just eating all the cool fish well how far down is twenty thousand leagues is that all the way down to the bottom no twenty thousand leagues is the distance that they traveled while they were under the sea oh so it's it's, like they really only have to be like ten feet under there. Yeah, I think you, I think it's like a baby pool, but they just went around in a circle for a long, long time. Jules Verne, twenty thousand leagues. Got me again. Got you again. Yeah. So, so like, you did. You dug this book. I dug the book. Um, th- those were the good specific examples, and I wanted to talk about some of the some of the bigger like, <laughs> like a lot of the stuff I thought was funniest was the stuff about America. And oh, Americans. please hit me! Yeah, because this um, is so. This is France, nineteenth century. A guy, a French guy, writing about America and, from you know, the perspective America. of a group of like British people. Okay, or people that's great. Who, yeah, <laughs> I like that a lot. Okay, so there's this one point where they're training across America, and they get to these rapids, and the bridge is so rickety that it's about ready to fall down. Um like a rope bridge or something yeah it's a suspension bridge sorry um i there's a okay yeah there's this was a suspension bridge thrown over some rapids about a mile from the place where they now were according to the signal man it was in a ruinous condition several of the iron wires being broken and it was impossible to risk the passage he did not in any way exaggerate the condition of the bridge it may be taken for granted that rash as the americans usually are when they are prudent there is good reason for it so there's that little dig um you also get a taste of how often the passive voice is used in this 
several it was in a ruinous condition several of the iron wires being broken like there are a lot of sort of contrived passive voice passages i don't know if contrived is the right word maybe this is just how people wrote but like yeah it's not the bridge was broke it was like the bridge having been broke sometime before (laughs) (laughs) okay um are there like so, American characters that he's? There are time some. With? There are American characters. There's this Colonel Proctor guy, mm-hmm. um, I think is his name, and they are all talking about oh, if we speed up the train to go like at its top speed, we can get over this river. And, and the, the bridge may every, fall behind us, but we yeah, will. Yeah, and everybody's yelling like, oh, like we have a 50, 80, 90% chance of living through this. And Passepartout is like, well, hey, if you guys wanted to, and everybody's like, dude, we did you not just hear we get over the bridge? And, and Passepartout is like, well, I mean, yeah, but it would also be safer. And everybody shouts him down. And then as they're like walking back to the train, going to try this crazy idea, Passepartout says, they can't prevent me from thinking that it would be more natural for us to cross the bridge on foot and let the train come after. <laughs> but yeah, it's these crazy Americans who are like, oh yeah, let's just let's just jump this thing over the river. It'll be awesome and it'll be fine. We'll be fine. Woo! Spring break. And like that's a, that's America in this book. It's like everybody's dueling, everybody's hitting everybody. Yeehaw! Everybody's everybody like them Duke boys are jumping their train over the river again. Like it's <laughs> it's still like okay. it's you know we're far removed from the revolution and even though like War of eighteen twelve. Like by the time this book is being written, even the Civil War is, has happened already. But um, oh yeah, that's a good point. So we've already established ourselves as a nation of rash. Of yokels and idiots. Ill-educated. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there you go. Like the traditional European <laughs> perspective on America. <laughs> okay. So, there, I mean, there was a lot of stuff about India that I'm sure Indians would think was just as funny slash offensive. But, yeah, it's it's... Yeah, so he's got those really specific little passages, but then, like, entire peoples are painted with these really broad strokes that are... I mean, maybe there is some element of truth in them, or at least like what truth would have been to Vern in his time. But especially now, like one, they definitely come off as like too broad and lacking in nuance. And number two, I forget my second point. I think it was just so. Who are you? So who are you talking about? What peoples specifically? Um, the you know Indians, people who live in India, and then Americans. Those are the, those are the two groups of people that we spend the most time with. Okay, like the first part of the book is all him traveling through India, and then like f- for a lot of the water travel parts of the book, really, it's just like, is there a storm? Are they weathering it okay? Like, do they have fuel? Like, it's more it's more concerned with the mechanics of the actual travel. Whereas when you're doing train travel, unless you run into a specific thing like a bridge or Buffalo or um, native American attack, of course they are not, they they are referred to mostly as by tribe names in this book. I don't, I don't know that they're, hmm. are they also called Indians actually? Interesting. Well, if you're going to India, are they also then calling Native Americans, Indians. I'm checking to see. Okay, they do occasionally refer to the Native Americans as Indians, but it's more it's more it's more common for them to be referred to by specific tribal names. Cool. So when they're attacked by the Sioux, like they're normally called the Sioux. You get some Hmm. Indians in there, but it's not as it's not as frequent. All right. I don't know. I feel like I've been think, all around the world with this book. Oh, yeah. Around well, the, around that's... the world in 50 minutes. But was there like, were there any other questions? Oh, and the book ends with them getting it's it's pretty contrived. Actually, they feel they get there what they think is five minutes late. But because they've been traveling eastward the whole time, they actually picked up a day that they didn't know about. Sure. 
And Passepartout, so Fogg goes to Aouda and is like, I know I'm broke because I lost this bet, but will you marry me? And she's like, yeah, duh, of course. I loved you this whole time. And they send Passepartout <laughs> to go get a priest to marry them. And then he finds out, oh, they're not doing marriages today because it's a day earlier than we thought. But you you got here 24 hours early, but you only have 10 minutes to get to the club and tell everybody that you won. And he did win. And they got married. And the last thing in the book is uh, Phileas Fogg had won his wager and has made his journey around the world in 80 days. To do this, he had employed every means of conveyance, steamers, railways, carriages, yachts, trading vessels, sledges, elephants. The eccentric gentleman has throughout displayed all the marvelous qualities of coolness and exactitude. But what then? What had he really gained by all this trouble? What had he brought back from this long and weary journey? Nothing, say you? Perhaps so. Nothing but a charming woman, who, strange as it may appear, made him the happiest of men. Truly, would you not for less than that make the tour around the world? I don't know Nothing about that. Nothing but a charming, <laughs> a charming woman. I think, I think we can put him on blast for that one. <laughs> Just a, a little, little bit. A little well, it's really, I mean, It's really funny. Fog goes through all these all these different locations and is so point, even when he has time is so pointedly uninterested in anything, but getting his passport stamped and moving on to the next thing. That's funny. Like passport two wants to go around and see the sights, but fog is just like, whatever I'm going to be in my carriage playing whist. Thank you. <laughs> Always be traveling, but I like this book. I thought it was fun. It's not very yeah. long. I mean, if you go to Amazon and grab the Kindle edition, it's in the public domain, so it's totally free. Like if you haven't if you haven't read it, it's it's a fun little adventure book. Not too adventurous. Just And not too enough. science fictiony, which is what we think of. Not science fictiony at all. Yeah. Cool. This is not going to inspire people to wear goggles and clocks, is what you're saying. No. Why would it do that? Because steampunk. No, it's not a steampunk book. It's not. I mean, there are steamers, like the boats. Yeah. But no punks, I don't think. And nobody's <laughs> using like a steam-powered computer in it that I saw. So, yeah, no steampunk, I don't think. Okay. Uh, so, if you have a Jules Verne book that we should have talked about, and didn't or a favorite invention of his that we didn't talk about you could let us know you could write us an email at overduepod at gmail.com or you could reach out on social media twitter.com slash overduepod or facebook.com slash overduepod i want to thank everybody who was tweeting at us the past week uh or writing on our facebook wall that includes our friend brunbury nelia j deep kara emma bovin tysophene ek larsh Chris, Mr. Tilkvist, Hillary, Kara, Dennis, <laughs> Eric, Melissa, Susan, Susanna, Amy, Josh, Julie, Christopher, and Rebecca and Connor, who both emailed in in the past week. Uh, we love it when you guys reach out, and more and more of you are doing it and uh, letting us know how you found the show and letting us know what you think of our new episodes. Also, feel free to use those services to recommend other people to the show. Uh, Andrew, if people wanted to send a link out... What link would they use? Um, ideally, they would use OverduePodcast.com, which is the link to our internet website. Um, up there, there are links to iTunes and Stitcher and RSS. Those are the ways you can subscribe to the show. Uh, when you subscribe, you get new episodes every Monday when they drop and also our monthly bonus episodes on whatever day it is that we decide to post those. Um, also mm-hmm. up on the website are links to um, Amazon. You can click the books on the page, buy them. We get a cut of that. Um, also a link to our Patreon project, uh, which is a way that you can uh, support the show in an ongoing way and sort of pay for our books and our equipment and other stuff like as we incur expenses. Uh, we really appreciate everybody who donates to us that way. And it just it makes a huge difference to the show. And um, you can also, if you donate at the $5 a month tier, you can recommend books to us. This was not a Patreon recommendation. We are sort of working through a few other things that we have to get to, which we're going to talk about more in a second. 
Uh, but yeah, especially in 2016, we've got a big stack of listener books that we're going to start getting to, and we hope that you guys enjoy those. Um, Real quick, Craig, we should else? thank our friends at HeadGum, which yes. is our the podcast network that hosts us, as well as Spreaker, which does all of our hosting and uh, some other playback options. Andrew, next week, oh no, we are at episode 150. 150. I don't know how it happened. Bonus episodes are at fault. We are here sooner than we should have been. They are the worst. What will we be reading? Fifty Shades Freed. The third book in the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. Yeah, Uh, so... When will uh, we be freed from our (laughs) sexy bonds? Uh, If you joined us in the past couple months and have not gone back and listened to our previous Fifty Shades of Grey podcasts, we encourage you to do so. Uh, they're it's not all complaining it's not all complaining they are they're fun shows there is a lot of complaining <laughs> but but we we but, get we dig into what makes the prose bad and what makes the storytelling bad but there are also sections where we give them the benefit of the doubt and try to suss out what if anything would make them books that stand out on their own we talk about um, BDSM and the ways that the book gets it wrong gets it right and um, last episode or, you know, the episode 100, we had a couple of people reach out and um, talk to us about the BDSM community in relationship to Fifty Shades of Grey. And yeah, if there's anybody else out there who like has read these books, participates in that community and has specific thoughts. Um, last time, uh, the people just requested that we didn't use their names at all on the show, which is totally fine. But I think that's that's a perspective that I can't bring and that Craig can't bring to that conversation, but that I think really merits discussion. So, yeah, uh, yeah um, hit us on Facebook with a private message or, or via email if you have stuff to say, and, and we can try and get to it on the show. And we've got more plans for holidays, so keep an eye out for those. Uh, Andrew, I think that's it. I think that's it. So come back next week for some more Fifty Shades. And until then, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.